First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. The nail in the coffin! Episode number 45, we are recording on Wednesday night and less than 24 hours from now, Trav, uh, playoff baseball here in Cleveland. I'm pretty fired up. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can't beat it. I mean, we, with how long the, the baseball season is, it's uh, it's exciting to finally have uh, playoffs be here and to be involved in it. That's the thing. You know, the, the baseball season, I think more than any other sport. And I know it, the, the intensity always wraps up or ramps up when you get to the postseason, no matter what sport you're talking about, but the, just the whole vibe of like regular season baseball, you could just kind of sit back with a beer at a game, you know, zone in and out, miss some pitches, not really care. And I mean, teams will go through a bad week or two and, and it's not necessarily the end of the world, but like playoff baseball, man, it just every single pitch matters and every game matters and it's just it's a grind and it's awesome. Yeah, and it's 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 the time of year where like and you hear this all the time in all sports. I think it it might apply the most in baseball. Um but literally anything can happen. You can see random guys come out of nowhere. <laughs> And I think the fact that, you know, it only takes like one at bat for a guy to be to, to turn himself from, you know, the eighth or ninth guy in the lineup to like a legend. Look at like uh, Aaron Boone, for example. I mean, you, you see there's a guy like that. It seems like every year who just does something you didn't expect him to do. And it, it really is. Um, wow. Uh, sorry. Speaking of just a hell of a catch in the Mets game. Uh, um, that was fantastic center field granderson granderson yeah crashing into the wall wall. hell of a play to save uh at least one maybe two i'm not sure who was on base there but um anyways i digress um it really is sort of like anything can happen it's 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 sort of the reason you can never really count a team out in the the baseball playoffs because if you get there you got a hell of a chance yeah, and I think this year, just with the way the Indians, I mean, they've had some injuries and it's kind of forced them to do some creative things with their postseason roster, at least for the division series round. Um, it's entirely possible we're going to see some unlikely heroes if the Indians pull through and win this series with the Red Sox. And I'm sure uh, some of those names are going to come up. Uh, man, I'll tell you what, just playing the Red Sox, there are just so many awesome storylines. Uh, for me, the biggest thing that just jumps out right off the is having Terry Francona managing the Indians and just knowing his history with the Red Sox and the way he was kind of run out of town there in Boston. And I mean, there was really like a smear campaign almost with uh, not even almost, I mean, there absolutely was with some of the stories that got leaked in the media after he was gone. 
And yeah. for all the good things that he did there and, and managing them to break the, the Red Sox curse and actually winning two World Series for them, uh, to see it kind of implode like that at the end uh, really, uh, really sucked and uh, is unfortunate. But, um, I mean, on the other hand, it was the Indians' gain because I think for me, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, that really hiring him was the real turning point for the Indians where they were in the last few years. Um, Eric Wedge had a nice run for a while, but I think things kind of deteriorated towards the end with him and it was time to bring a new voice in and they really kind of swung and missed with Manny Acta. So uh, the franchise was in a really bad way there. And um, it just, things really turned. I mean, they've had a winning record every year since Francona has come in and this is year four for him. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, no question. I mean, that he's been the uh, the turnaround for him. Even though, I mean, they missed the playoffs the last couple of years, but they've been competitive. They basically the last couple of years they've come out of the gates really slow and been playing catch up. They avoided that nicely this year. Um, I think I think if you told me at the beginning of the year that Brantley's never really going to come back and make any contribution, and your uh, starting rotation is basically going to be a um, revolving door of guys battling injuries. We would have probably been, uh, you know, lucky to scrape out mid to low eighties, uh, in wins. And if lucky to get into a wild card at that point, the way that they've just, they just keep winning despite, you know, something goes wrong. No one really gets down. They just keep doing what they're doing. That contrary to what uh, certain beat writers have told us, that they're not dead. <laughs> I mean, they are not. They, they might not win the series, and I know they're an underdog in the series, and that's okay. Boston's a great team, but they got a real shot here, I think. I mean, it's it's not hopeless by any stretch of the imagination, and uh, I do really think it's been impressive what they were able to do in the last couple weeks of the season. And um, e- even right down to the last week of the year, uh, you know, I was, I was listening, driving to work. I think it was yesterday listening to, uh, A to Z. And I, I know I talk about them a lot on here, but, um, I'm starting to think you got a little thing for them. I love those guys. They, they that's my favorite podcast oh, to cute. listen to. They're, they're great. And, uh, it is, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, it, the thing that's interesting, they don't really talk about the Indians too much on there, but when they do, um, Andre Knott always has a really good perspective because he's in the clubhouse every day because he works as like the in-game reporter for uh, STO. And, you know, I I think once they clinched, we were all just kind of talking about, well, do you want to try to go for the home field or just rest the guys? And what, you know, does it matter? And I I think at least a little bit, I'm I'm guilty of this. And I, I think a lot of other fans are too, is we forget just the fact that, these players, I mean, they're professionals, but at the end of the day, they're, they're people. And I mean, they got families, they got homes. And I mean, going into this past weekend, I mean, it was very likely that they were going to have to go play another game in Detroit on Monday. And they were looking at probably being the three seed and having to go to Boston. So they were coming off already playing seven games on the road or, or, being on the road for what was supposed to be a seven game trip that uh, last game in Detroit got washed out. So you go from Detroit over to Kansas city, then they were going to have to go back to Detroit for a day, come into Cleveland, basically long enough to 
you know, do laundry and repack your suitcase and then immediately head to Boston. So it's not even like you're really home. Um, so at that point, you're at the end of what amounts to being a two week road trip. Um, and you're playing the most important games of your season. So the fact that everything broke the way it did uh, this past weekend with them being able to not only get home field in this round, um, but also not having to go to Detroit on Monday, that was huge. Yeah, it's sort of funny. There were so many variables like outstanding going in like the last like two days. And if you said, well, it, it turns out this one game's not even going to be necessary to figure anything out, I, would, I wouldn't have expected that. But um, I asked a few people, and I was trying to get an answer to this. If the Indians had clinched home field in the first round, and obviously they weren't catching Texas, could they have just forfeited that game against Detroit? If they, have abs- if they had absolutely nothing um, to gain or lose by going up there and playing... Could they have just said, we're not going to waste our arms and our time and whatnot going there, giving up our day of rest because of bad weather in a game that means nothing to us? Could they have just said, we're not doing it? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure the other teams that were involved in that scenario whose postseason hopes were relying on it, I mean... Is that the Indians' problem? It's not, but like I think back to like... I mean, I know it's a different sport, but like think back to the NFL... Uh, back in 07 with the Browns, the one year that they were on the verge of making the playoffs and they won their game on that last day of the season. And then the Sunday night game, they needed the Colts to beat, I think, Tennessee. Yep. Tennessee. With Vince and so Tennessee had something to play for and Indianapolis had nothing to play for. And I think they were already in the playoffs at that point. So they were basically in the same position as what you're describing the Indians being in, in this situation, and they still played the game, so I, I just well, they, they they played it. You, you've <clears> never <throat> have you ever seen no one ever in the NFL always plays the game, but they basically forfeited it. They, they didn't start Peyton Manning. That, well, they might. I think he played one series. They essentially, you know, forfeited that game by throwing guys out there that, you know, weren't trying to win. And um, I think the Indians would do the same thing had it come to that on Monday. I I think. You've got the expanded roster. You saw the hangover game that they had the week before, the the night after they had clinched, um, when all the regulars were uh, still um, <laughs> shaking off the after effects of uh, Ace of Spades champagne and whatnot. But, um, you know, I, I don't know I, about Ace of Spades. I saw a whole lot of Budweiser cans. <laughs> Can with well, a can bottle. I saw some bottles. They, 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 uh, they, some they pictures. were like the aluminum bottles which is something else. I still have a hard time wrapping my head around who thought let's make cans into bottles, but Hey, whatever. Well, you know, uh, maybe they didn't want glass breaking on the floor and yeah, God only knows sure what else. And... Yeah. They're, they're pool friendly. That's uh, exactly right. Nice. I like it. Um, but anyways, I, I guess that was just sort of, it's sort of clueless or uh, meaningless now. It doesn't really matter at this point, but I was thinking like if I was, you know, if I was Tito and I had my guys and, you know, my team's being punished for we- for weather, and we got to go play a game that doesn't matter to us. We're losing a game of rest that uh, our opponents get to enjoy. I would, I don't know. I guess I would have only played guys that weren't going to be playing in the playoffs, anyways. I guess. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, that's my guess. We'll never know, and thankfully, okay. we'll never have to know. Right. But um, you know, just getting back to Francona for a minute, I know that he drives some people nuts. 
with his decisions to give up out so often to bunt guys over into scoring position even early in the game. But overall, he's just done, I think, just such a phenomenal job this year of just handling the pitching staff and um, pushing the right buttons in terms of getting the, the most out of guys in platoon situations, especially in like the corner outfield positions. And, you know, just to kind of tie up the, the point that I was making at the beginning here um, about him really turning around the franchise. I know the sightings of Nick Swisher and Michael Bourne didn't really work out, but that was kind of like the first signal that they were going to be able to maybe get some legitimate big league free agents coming in here. Even if it's not those top tier $250 million guys, at least yeah, like never, legitimate they're not giving out 10 year deals. That's not going to change. They're not. And, and that's okay. You don't need to do that. Um, as exciting as those things are, I, I, you could do just fine without doing that as they're proving here. But um, there's something to be said for bringing in some established veteran talent. And, uh, you know, maybe it didn't work out with those guys, but you look at like this year and Rajai Davis comes in and um, he leads the American League in stolen bases. Mike Napoli hit what, 34 or 35 home runs. I'm not sure those guys are coming in to play for the Indians if they don't think as highly of the manager as they do. I, I really think Francona really uh, added a, a layer of credibility in the clubhouse at, with the Indians and, and just um, really pushed their stock up in players' eyes. And you just see the way this team bonds together. And um, a lot of that's a lot of the players that they have in the clubhouse, but I, I really do think that it's him setting a good tone and, um, creating a great environment and, and it's really paid off. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, th- we can all look at, you know, individual instances where we look and say, well, I don't know if I would have done that, but, um, in the grand scheme, it's hard to see, you know, he's, he's not the sort of guy that would normally come to Cleveland. I think like he has a lot of cachet. He's very, like you said, guys love playing for him. In theory, he should be very, and he probably would have been, but the fact that Cleveland was able to get him is kind of a coup, I think, looking back. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't know that, you know, it, it sort of just seemed like things aligned just perfectly, and in most cases, you know, Cleveland's not usually the, the team that lucks out in that situation. Um, they lose out to, you know, maybe a, a more established team that's that's closer to winning, although looking back, the Indians weren't really that far off from winning when he came in, but... Um, no, I think with what he's one of the guys, I think, and every coach gets questioned all the time, basically, whenever something doesn't work, I think, um, he's one of few guys that you kind of just have to sit back and say, he knows better than I do. And I, I think people, at least most people, you know, watch the games regularly and are really into this team. They've sort of accepted that. Like I might not love what he does, but he seems to to uh to pull the rings at the right time. So uh you gotta put your faith in him. And he's earned at this point, obviously. Put it to you this way, I don't think we're gonna see any situations in this postseason where the Indians have their season on the line and Cody Anderson pitching in a do or die game in extra innings and uh, costing the team the game in their season when Andrew Miller is still sitting out in the bullpen, which is basically the equivalent of what happened last night to the Orioles 
with how Buck Showalter managed their pen in that one game wild card playoff against Toronto. Yeah, so I didn't I didn't see this. I, I heard about it today. Obviously, I didn't watch the end of the game last night. Um, so basically, everyone is saying that what they should have brought. Uh, the guy's name escapes me. Who's the reliever? Britain. Britain. Okay. Yeah, and he's been lights out this like as far as relievers go. He's been as you know as good as they get. Um, but what everyone's saying that they had a couple guys on should have brought him in right away. Is that what it is? After the guys got on, or they should have opened the inning with them. Basically, I I think they're saying that you you need to use your your best guy in the most high leverage situation that you can possibly you need you can't leave him in there um, waiting for the point to take the lead and whether it's you start him in an inning earlier in the game like the tenth or the eleventh or you bring him in. Uh, sooner once Ubaldo starts getting into trouble one way or another you you can't just wait because like even if they would happen to like get out of that and then they go and and score the next inning I mean who's to say they don't put up like seven runs or something and Toronto's bullpen just implodes and then you were saving them for what like anybody could probably come in and get those last three outs for you at that point it's just that's not making the, the most use of your your best assets in the bullpen. And I, I think Tito has really done the opposite of that with Andrew Miller. He looks at Andrew Miller as being his best weapon coming out of the bullpen. And whether it's Correctly put so. yeah, whether it's putting him in, in the ninth or it's um doing something like uh putting him in, in the sixth or the seventh, uh he's little bit in like cause he, he's had a couple outings where he goes like an inning and two thirds or almost two innings because well shit he comes in sometimes and he'll he'll throw seven or eight pitches and the inning's over yeah exactly hey all right we had a little bit of a uh technical difficulty there um so we got sidetracked for a minute but uh good news is i think we are back up and running so uh Trav, let's pick it up where we left off. Uh, we were talking uh, Andrew Miller and the bullpen and just um, the trust we have in Tito. Um, where, uh, what, um, what, anything else you wanted to say about that before we moved on? No, I think, I think just essentially what I said a minute ago, um, Tito's sort of at a point where he can kind of do no wrong in my eyes, I guess. Um, I'll just sort of assume, and I think most people probably need to accept this and do the same. Um, he knows more about baseball than we do, and he knows the team better than we do. So, so the, those decisions that people are like, well, I don't know if that's the decision I would make. Um, okay, don't. Uh, <laughs> I, I think he knows better than we all do. So, um, even if it doesn't work, I don't think that necessarily makes it the wrong decision. I'll. I'll just say I think we're pretty damn lucky that we have him um, in our dugout. All right, so playing off that then, what did you think about the decision that he made really about a week ago to announce Corey Kluber starting game two and and Trevor Bauer going Thursday night in game one? It's it's interesting, but... If, if you're doing a three-man rotation, it makes a lot of sense because you'll want Kluber to go in game five if it gets to that point. Um, 
So by doing that, if he if you wanted Kluber to go in game five, the only way to do it was to have him pitch game two. Um, so we're assuming that he could do games two and five and, and they would just go with the three man then. Yeah, I think that's already because they've only got three starters on the roster. Okay. Uh, the playoff roster was announced today, so it's just uh, Kluber, Tomlin, and Bauer. So running off of that, th- he really had no choice. If he was going to do – if he wanted to keep Kluber for game five, he would have had to throw Kluber in game two um, or, you know, have him do one and four. But it looks like Bauer's going to do one and four. So, um, no, I think it's fine if he's comfortable and he thinks – uh, he thinks Kluber, you know, on three days rest is okay, then, you know, go for it. Yeah. And see the one thing that'll help. Or actually, I guess he'll have, he'll no, have, he would have, Kluber would have four days rest. Right. That's what I was just going to say is, uh, for, for, uh, Bauer, it's going to be. That actually makes a lot more sense then because, uh, f- from what we, what I can hear, at least from what I, it, it seems to be is that. Bauer could go out and theoretically throw every damn day just for the, for the way that he, uh, for the way that he's built in his arm, uh, the way that he trains. Uh, I know it's sort of controversial with all that, that long toss garbage and whatnot, but, um, it, it sounds like he's, you know, he recovers a bit faster than the average pitcher. So from that standpoint, it actually makes a lot more sense. He's a, uh, he's a different kind of guy. Just he does way, everything differently, doesn't he? He, you know, yeah, he he is. He's just wired differently. He's into different things. You can just kind of tell by the interviews and just some of the things that he says, um, and just how fiery and emotional he is when he's pitching. I mean, he's pretty much the antithesis of Corey Kluber in a lot of ways. So uh, it, it's I, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous having him on the mound for Game One tomorrow night because. I'm not saying the series is over if the Indians lose game one, but you're really up against it then because at that point, the home field that you were happy about getting is out the window and you're going to have to take three out of four. And um, that's, that's, that's hard. Um, Not impossible, but uh, it's, um, it's going to be a real uphill battle. And I mean, we've seen him, show some, you know, turn in some really great performances and, and show some real promise. But, I mean, he's had some other situations where, I mean, he's just completely melted down. I mean, if we're being honest about it, and and you just, you don't know what he's going to show you when the stakes are that high in a playoff game. I mean, it's exciting, but it's it's a little nerve-wracking. So uh, I, I think that's um, that, that's definitely going to be something to watch. Yeah, sure. I mean, but that was sort of unavoidable with all the injuries, you know, to Carrasco and Salazar. It was sort of at the point where we were going to have to lean on Bauer a lot more than we wanted to. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we just kind of, you got to go with it at this point. Of course, there's going to, I mean, there, you were going to have question marks around it, but um, the, the fact is he, he doesn't really have much middle ground. Um, he's either, you know, full tilt one way or the other where he seems to just be untouchable and he's pitching his ass off and other days where you know everything seems to be right in the middle of the plate and guys are hitting him all over the place so you gotta hope that you get the good one at least once um in the series or you don't have a chance if he can keep them in the game tomorrow night for five innings i think i would take that because you you've got four exceptional arms in the bullpen who could carry you home from there so i and especially with kluber coming back 
the next day for game two. And theoretically, he could go deep into a ball game and if all goes according to plan. And I mean, really, you could also throw McAllister out there as well. Um, I don't think he's quite in the category of, of the no, guys. No, it's like, going to be Otero, Shaw, Miller, and uh, Cody Allen. Cody Allen, yeah. But as like a fifth option out of the bullpen, McAllister's pretty serviceable. So um, we'll see. I, I, I do think, um, you know, I, I just kind of looking through uh, Boston's uh, lineup and, and their rotation a little bit. I did not realize just how awesome Rick Porcello has been this year. And he's going to be pitching game one. I think he's like yes. twenty-two and four. He's pro- he's he's propped up his his records better than his pitching has been, but he's been a really he's been a really good pitcher. Um, but he's got some insane run support. Um, at one point, I want to say it was at like five and a half to six runs a game he was getting in support, which is just insane. Um, so yeah, his his record's really good, but he's I don't think he's pitching any better than like. Um, he's definitely in the Cy Young conversation, but if you were going off a record in the old days, um, he'd probably be a lock for it. Um, now that people look a little more into the numbers, he's he's very good, but he's not he's not you know far and away better than anyone else. Yeah, a lot of advanced metrics there to to really analyze and and go through, and maybe his case doesn't quite stack up as well, but. I mean, he's going to be, I think he'll be tough for the Indians tomorrow and then oh, come yeah, back no and question. have to face David Price in game two. And then I think today the Red Sox announced Clay Buckholtz will be pitching game three. And he has not been uh, quite up to, to that level of those other two guys in game three there, sir. Um, they would see him on Sunday. So, um, yeah, I think basically where we're going to be at for the three games that Kluber doesn't pitch. Um, you got to hope that your, you know, that your starter keeps you in the game. And if you got a lead after six, um, good luck Boston. Cause those, that bullpen's not going to give up many runs. If you don't, if you don't jump on, I think if you don't jump on the Indians early, you're going to have a hard time catching up. Totally agree. And that that's why I'm just, I'm really hoping that Trevor Bauer can just get through the lineup twice. Yep. And, uh, and if he can do that, I, I think the Indians got a real, Real good shot to uh, put themselves in good shape. Absolutely. Um, and anything else about uh, the, the Tribe Series? Uh, I was going to maybe kind of touch on a little bit with the other AL playoff series because I think that one's going to be interesting. Um, not really. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see what they do. I mean, we we had fairly high expectations coming into this season. I think you and I both sort of thought they'd probably end up a. Uh, I, I, I have to go back and look, but I think we both said wild card probably. I think um, I had them to win the division and lose in the LCS. And I would, okay. I would still stand by that now, but. Okay. Um, I think personally, I think if they get out of the ALDS, they'd have, I think Boston's the worst matchup for them. Um, yeah, you, that's, that's fair. I think if they got past Boston, they, especially if, you know, a Salazar is able to come back, um, and pitch in the next series, that'd be something. But um, yeah, I don't, I think they've safe to say that they've overachieved this year. Given everything, considering all the injuries and whatnot. Yeah. You know, it it felt like for a while, the Indians got through a pretty decent stretch there where they were outside of Brantley 
I felt like they're relatively healthy because even when Gomes went down, he wasn't playing particularly well or he wasn't hitting well anyway. Um, So it wasn't like they had been counting on him for a whole lot up to that point. But um, yeah, especially like the the last couple of months, very dinged up. Um, So to be able to overcome that, finish as strong as they did. Yeah, I, I think overachieving given everything that's happened. I think that's fair to say. Any thoughts on them taking three catchers? kind of an unconventional move it is i i think they that's it, kind of a safeguard in terms of um they, they want Jan gomes in the lineup but if they don't necessarily 100 percent trust that he's going to be able to catch all those games and and if you know something happens god forbid that he has another setback or something like that then you're stuck with one so, and the other thing, isn't Jimenez the, the guy that uh, likes, that Bauer does well with? Yeah, but I, I got to think he's not going to be the one, he's not going to start tomorrow. That'd be kind of wild if they do that, actually that start be. him. I, I, I don't think they would do that, but I know that he caught Bauer for a lot of games this year. So, um, if you're trying to do everything you possibly can to put Trevor Bauer in a good frame of mind, pitching the biggest game of his life, maybe that's that's a card you play, but... I, I don't know. Not likely, but just kind yeah, of who knows? just spitballing here. I hear you. But, uh, you know, I, I do really think the other AL division series is going to be super interesting since we're getting the rematch of the Rangers and the Blue Jays because they had an awesome five-game series last year where Texas won the first two games and then Toronto came back and won the last three. And then we had the incident during the season this year where uh, Rookie Odor punched out Jose Batista on the bases. So uh, plenty of bad blood. Yeah, um, that was the uh, the Joey Bats flip from last year too that pissed right. everybody off. The greatest uh, bat flip I've ever seen. It was. <laughs> I'm so torn about it because I feel like in that moment, if you can't flip, if you can't do that, um, in that moment, you never can. But at the same time, you also just kind of look like an asshole. <laughs> like I don't know. It's just it's one of those things that kind of. I don't know how to look at it, I guess. Um, I don't have a huge problem with it, but everyone blew it up to be something huge. I love uh-huh. bad flips unapologetically. And, you know, it was funny. You were mentioning uh, obscure heroes in the postseason, how they tend to emerge. And Deadspin, about a month ago, randomly dug up this video from the 87 World Series where this dude for the Cardinals, um, Tom Lawless, I'd never even heard of him. Guy that had like. Oh, m- yeah, Tommy Walls. No, no, lawless. Oh, oh, that's yeah, that's what I, that's what I meant. That, him too. <laughs> Guy had one career home run three years earlier, and through a very convoluted set of circumstances, somehow found himself in the starting lineup for this game against the Twins in the '87 World Series, and Jack this just gargantuan home run, and had like an out of body experience because this was like well before the days of like bet flipping and everything else, he just started walking up the line and gave it an epic uh, Joey bats level bat flip. And uh, <laughs> it, it, it was the biggest dick move I've ever seen, especially given the era, but it was, it was kind of awesome. And they asked him about it after the game. Cause it was so out of character for players back then. He said he didn't even remember doing it. I, I think like <laughs> blacked out. He, he really, he like blacked out because like the whole thing was just so surreal and so unlikely. So 
just running on pure adrenaline at that it's, point. Yeah. So, you know, I, I hope we get somebody with the Indians pulling a move like that. Um, I remember Jim Tomey had an epic bet flip against the uh, the Braves in the 95 World Series and pissed them off, too. He hit one into center field that went about 430 feet and gave it like a backhanded bet flip. And the Braves whole dugout was, you know, barking at him after that. But, you know, tough shit. <laughs> yeah. The, all in the past they got the last laugh they did so you know they they can get over it but no kidding ah but no that does i mean i i didn't watch the game last night so i don't really know and truthfully i don't toronto's kind of turned into one of those teams that annoys me um i'm not sure why exactly um some asshole last night throwing a beer at a player while he's trying to catch a ball and shit like that was bad that was really that's bad really bad that's really bad and he wasn't that far from it i guess it's some uh he's a, a writer for some local newspaper all right so i saw a conflicting report that it might not have been that guy i i so okay i, I don't know i haven't followed I'm, it too closely that's just yeah i i looked that up like right before we jumped on here um, so I, I don't know that I'm, I'm a little skeptical. I, I want to wait. See, I can't believe that they didn't just nab the guy. I mean, that has to be like the, yeah, how did the no greatest show of solidarity by the people in that section I've ever seen in my life that nobody was willing to say that's the no dude one wanted, that yeah, launched no a beer. Gonna name names. Yeah. <laughs> you name names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, next thing you know, he's banned from Hop Sings. He is uh, banned from Hop Sings, banned from the, the Rogers Center. Um, oh, big I'm not a particularly big Blue Jays fan and they've had some incidents with their fans otherwise as well up there. I think they had an incident during the playoffs last year where some people were throwing garbage on the field. Um, I, I will say though, for whatever reason, I, I have a strange affinity for uh, the Rogers Center, the Sky Dome, whatever you want to call it. It's one of my like favorite um, visiting stadiums to actually watch games at, even with the the, the field turf. I think it was just because it was like this super futuristic stadium that opened up right when I was at the age when that was like the cool thing. I mean, I think I was like eight or nine it years old. It feels old though now, doesn't it? A little bit, but I don't but know. It's, it's kind of got like that, got that uh, nostalgic feel to it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like retro futuristic. Like this is what like the stadium of the future looked like 25 years ago. So I don't know. It's always it's like one big game of RBI baseball. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think I heard they're trying to put real grass in there in a couple years. So that'll, that'll help it out too. But um, I don't know if I had to watch more postseason games from there, uh, uh, that that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for me. That said, if uh, we get to an LCS and the Indians are playing the Blue Jays and somebody throws and uh, hits um, uh, Coco Crisp in the back of the head when he's trying to catch a fly ball, I, I might start an international incident. So what do they what do they do in that situation if that guy hits the guy? That has to be fan interference, interference, I would think. You call it out automatically, right? You you would have to, right? I, I mean, think so. If if yeah. you if you like reach over and like touch the ball with your hand or something, it's fan interference. Unless you're Jeffrey Meyer from New York, but or Mayor or whatever the hell that kid's name was. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> Fucking clown. Um. <laughs> but, but yeah, I would think, but I've never seen it happen before. Uh, Usually it's like, yeah, it's right against the wall and the guy reaches over. It's just this one, you know, it's throwing stuff out onto the field. You you, you didn't see the game. I was like, did you see the clip afterwards, though? Of that play? Yeah. Yeah, I saw, I've seen that play. 
it was amazing how close he got to him. I mean, like that. He wasn't that far. Watching that from the second deck, that uh, that's that's crazy. So yeah, it could have gotten really ugly. I guess it's a good thing it didn't. You know, it didn't decide the game or anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, Not great, but um, hopefully we'll see some great baseball. I've got high hopes, and uh, yeah. Um, Hey, uh, anything else in the playoffs before we move on? Uh, no, not really. I think that's about it. All right. So you told me today we were texting at lunchtime. You said you wanted to talk college football. What, uh, what's on your mind? I, well, I was watching games on Saturday and great Saturday, by the way, fantastic slate of games. This first five weeks has been incredible. Yes. Like there was one sort of dud weekend and it wasn't that great. Other than that, there's been a couple awesome games like you could turn on the TV basically at any time and find a really compelling game. Yeah, the early all games. Day Saturday. The, the, like, all day Saturday. La- last year, the last couple of years, the 12 o'clock games, other than like Ohio State, Michigan, the rest of the year, the 12 o'clock games are awful. And th- this year, it's finally been, uh, they've had some really good games early. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this, and this, you I know will agree with me, but I think we're in the minority. I don't understand how anyone can tell me that NFL is more entertaining than college football. I don't get it. There's never a game. There's no regular season game that carries as much excitement as probably seven or eight games did in college last weekend. And you get a couple of those every weekend. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like I I think with, with college football, if you only care about your team, like in this case, like probably the majority of people listening here would be, would say Ohio state and you don't care about the other games that are going on around the country. Then I guess this past weekend was pretty boring because, well, even if you only like, even if you only care about Ohio state, all those games still impact Ohio state. They do, but like that Clemson Louisville game that, that can turn out to be very big to Ohio state down the road. They do. But I'm saying like, if you're only watching that game, you, you, you know, you're, you're, you, you watch Ohio State blow Rutgers, they Rutgers was it this past weekend? They blew their yeah. doors off and they handled their business and they did exactly what they're supposed to do. And, you know, good for Ohio State. That, that's a great performance. Um, amazing that they could hang 58 points on somebody and still keep it under uh, the uh, over under line of 59 and a half. But, um, you know, that's a that's a different discussion for another day. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's the thing is there are there are dud games around the country but every week you're you're this year especially you're constantly getting top 10 teams involved in great games whether it's against other ranked opponents or this past weekend i think it was like several games where it was like top 10 teams playing each other i mean like louisville and clemson and that, i mean that game that, that, that was loaded with dudes that i think are going to be playing on sundays and and it was an incredibly entertaining game. It lived up to the hype. A lot of times, you know, um, one of those teams turns out to be a dud. And this last week, both of them showed up ready to play. Um, it came right down to the end. I don't know if you watched the whole game, but at the very end, it was really entertaining football. I, yes, of course, the NFL has more talent. Those are the best players. And yes, they're, they're you know, the, maybe the brand of football is better, but for entertainment value, it's not even close in my opinion. Yeah, because if you're if you're if you're a Browns fan, or 
say you're a fan of a really good team, say you're a Patriots fan, the Patriots game is the only one that matters, and it's really the only one you're going to get invested in. You can sit down and watch a college football game. You had last week, what do we have? We had Clemson and uh, Louisville, Michigan and Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin, which was a a one-touchdown game that was – kind of it, it kind of plotted along it was a, it was kind of messy but it was still really entertaining obviously that that Tennessee Georgia game was insane how it ended oh, um, I felt so bad I uh but my, my old boss who went to Georgia I hadn't talked to her in months and I sent her a message after the Georgia kid threw the the long touchdown pass to put them in front with 10 seconds left like oh my god I hope you're watching this game this is unbelievable and then the Hail Mary, the other way to end the game. I just said, like, dot, 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 dot. Oh, my God, I am so sorry. (laughs) I'm like, like, if you don't get that first message, like, right away, it's like, oh, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) You should have sent the the Outlook uh, message, you know, when people try to, like, retract their previous email. Yeah. You ever get those? Like, so-and-so tried to cancel that. Oh. but you get a couple of those games. I mean, obviously they're not that crazy every week, but there are games that are down to the wire, really entertaining, lots of stuff happening. And truthfully, part of it is because they're not quite as good as the NFL. You know, the defense isn't going to be quite as good. They're not going to be as good at tacklers. Guys aren't going to, you know, just stuff like that. They're not going to be as disciplined. So that sort of stuff is prone to happen. But I don't know that I've seen a regular season NFL game in the last five years that was as entertaining as Louisville Clemson. Um, and you get one or two of those every single week. Well, North the other Carolina, one, Florida State turned out to be insane. That was the other one I was going to mention. I didn't really watch any of it, but um, shout out to Mitch Trubisky. Uh, I had the good fortune to cover a few of his games when he was playing at Mentor. Um, kid's an absolute physical freak. That I'm, I'm six, two and a half and... Um, he towers over me and, uh, <laughs> I was, I, I, and just super talented and it's really awesome now that he's getting a chance to play for North Carolina, um, and, and start and lo and behold, I'm starting to see his name in Heisman discussions. Yeah. Which is weird. Cause he, I mean, he laid an egg the week one against Georgia. Um, and he put up okay numbers, I think against like Illinois and, I'm looking now, James Madison, they played. So, I mean, some throwaway numbers, but he had a hell of a game against Florida State. Um, He had five touchdowns the week before against Pitt, and he's completing like 76% of his passes for, I don't know, probably 350 a game. So his numbers are going to be really good. Obviously, it's a long season, and, and he's only really done it against one good team. So time will tell if he keeps that up. But that'd be pretty cool if, you know, a local guy is getting that kind of love at the end of the season. Well, he's won the Fisher Award at the News Herald, so Fisher Award to the highest. prestigious Tony Fisher Award. That's right. So Beautiful. um, And I don't know his name, but I also have to shout out the North Carolina kicker for running the length of the field doing the tomahawk chop at Florida State after he hit the the game winner. Troll level is so strong there. (laughs) That that is incredible. 150-pound kicker running the field. Speaking of, did you see, speaking of kickers, did you see the Penn State kicker? Like, so if if you're not familiar listening, Penn State has this kicker who got to be pushing 300 pounds. Like, and just. His mom well, bought him uh, clothes in the Husky section uh, when, when he was growing <laughs> yes, up. 
exactly. He's a big boy. All he does is kickoffs too. He doesn't kick their he's not their field goal kicker, which is kind of weird too. Um, but he just blasts and he's he's had a few highlights this year of him just um just running down on kickoffs and leveling dudes. Well, he got into it with one of these guys last week and the guy drilled him back, like just blocking, and it, it was completely unnecessary, and the guy ended up getting tossed for it. But it was like they're really going out of their way to protect this guy who has shown that he can lay guys out too. So it yeah, was sort of those things were like, I'm not totally sure, you know, he needs, he needs to be getting, you know, that sort of uh, that protection. Yeah. If he's like one of those skinny guys who just kicks it and kind of like, you know, lollygags and jogs down, then I get it. But this guy hasn't shown that, you know, he's taking it easy on kickoffs. Why should the other team? Right. Yeah. He, he could probably stand up for himself. It's, yeah, uh... exactly. <laughs> And I guess kind of sidetracked there, but if you're listening and you haven't seen this kid, go look him up. He is um, just just watching him, and it's not that he does anything that crazy. Um, he just looks so out of place. His name's Joey Julius. He's probably uh, he's got to be like 275. Um, and watching him kick off and then you know try to run down the field, he's obviously not the most fleet-footed guy, but um, Watching him run down the field and hit guys is just great entertainment. All right, last question I want to ask you about college football, unless you got more stuff you want to bring up, but eh, no, um, just that it's way better than the NFL. I, I I'm still in total agreement on that, but uh, let me ask you this: Does it feel like we have more legitimate national championship contenders this year than we've had in any other year recently? I know it's early. We're only like what five weeks in or whatever, but it, no, it, and I it's not even so. and it's not even so much like I, I guess what just makes this year feel different to me is it's there are years when there's a lot of teams in the mix because everybody's fallen back and it's just kind of a rock fight and you're trying to make a case for this two lost team versus this one lost team and blah blah blah. Or is this year? I feel like there are a number of teams that if they were playing in any other year would run roughshod over college football and this year, they might not even make the playoff. Um, I don't know. I honestly think it's probably the other direction where there's really, where there's a lot of teams that are pretty good. Um, but in years past they would, you know, they, they wouldn't be having as good a season as they are this year. I think historically at this point in the season, each conference probably has one or two teams that are in the conversation. And that's what we have now. I think probably what you're seeing though, is those names are different. Um, the PAC 12 has got Washington who's ranked. Uh, I think they're up to five this week. Mm-hmm. Um, they're undefeated and they just beat the shit out of Stanford last week. Um, Houston obviously isn't that is not even in one of those power five conferences. So they're not usually being mentioned. Um, Louisville, obviously they lost last week, but they can definitely play their way back into it. Hopefully. Um, hopefully for them, I guess that Louisville, um, see like that Louisville team is a perfect example. Like they're going to probably need to catch a break to be able to get back into it. Yeah, now. Well, yeah. Clemson's got to lose. I mean, in theory, if you subscribe to the fact that, you know, those committees really want you to win your conference, if you're going to get in the playoff, they need Clemson to lose twice. So th- I know a lot of people have been saying, you know, they're still in it. I'm not sure they are. 
Um, I just don't think that they'll be able to get in without, you know, without Clemson losing twice, and I don't see that happening. Yeah, it's just, I look at that Louisville team, and I was just really impressed, even though they lost the other night at Clemson. I, I still feel like that's a team that could really play, and, and that's a team that I think would have done great in some of these past years, especially when you get back into the BCS era. Well, and you've still got, like, Ohio State, great. and you've got Alabama, and you've got Clemson, and Michigan's right there right now, although I still think Ohio State's going to blow their doors off when they play each other. Yeah, I think they're... Um, but, uh, you know, Washington's back up this year and, um, I mean, even like, uh, Miami is, uh, with, with Mark Rick coaching them, they're, they're off to a good start. Um, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of those like second tier teams, Tennessee has been living right. They're still undefeated. Texas A&M still undefeated. Um, I, I know a lot of those second tier teams are, are going to start falling down, but they're the, the, the best teams, at the top of the pile right now, it just had been super impressive to me. To this All right, point. So, so, so you say you think there's a lot more that should have a chance. Who, how many do you think right now? Who do you think is a legit championship contender right now? Alabama, well, Ohio State, I'm assuming. Clemson, yes. I'm assuming. Yes. Michigan? Yeah. Washington? Yes. Houston? Yes. I, now let me let me clarify this. I don't. I'm not saying I think all these teams. I I, I certainly would rank some of these teams above other ones. That this sure. is like yeah, who yeah. who am I crossing off as saying there's no chance this team wins the title? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Um, and funny if um, there's actually a hell maybe maybe one of the best weekday games we've ever seen is coming up in a few weeks on November 17th Thursday game Louisville plays Houston. Hmm. Um, non-conference game in the middle of, uh, near the end of the season that I think is going to be way more meaningful than people really expected. We, uh, um, we're going to have to set the podcasting schedule that week to make sure we're recording at a different mic because I think we're going to want to watch that one. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, but just going down the list, that's six. So Louisville, yeah, but they probably, I mean, they're going to need some help to get in at this point. Right. I think they're good enough, but they lost their game. Yeah, they're good enough. And, and, and they're kind of in that Ohio State like position of last year where you pick the wrong game to lose. Right, exactly. Um, and even if you think they're better than Clemson, um, which I'm not sure. It's, they're probably a toss-up. They're probably pretty even. Um, they're just going to need a lot of help, I think, to get in. Um, yeah. Texas A&M. I don't really buy them. Tennessee, I don't really buy them. Um, I saw them struggle in week one, and I think they've just kind of been, you know, they obviously should have lost last week. They need a lot of help there. Miami's a weird one. I don't I, I don't know if I'm really buying them. I don't know if there's really anyone. That's that's six or seven teams, you know, that, that are in the running right now. Miami may or may not play this weekend because they're supposed to be playing Florida State. And I think that game might even be at a neutral site. I'm not. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. That game's at Miami. Um, but you got the hurricane. The hurricane rolling right. in down there. And that's going to complicate things a lot this week, I think. Yeah. So and then you mentioned Tennessee and, and Texas A&M. They play each other. So that'll be a good uh, probably cross. I don't I, I'm kind of with you. I, I still look at it. I think uh, about seven teams. Is that what we think? Yeah. Or, or maybe yeah. six and a half. The top seven down to Louisville. I mean. Louisville is a team that you think could belong into it, but it's going to be a, tough for them to get into the playoff. Yeah. Um, 
so I think if you said at this point in the season, five weeks into the season, you've kind of already narrowed it down to that sort of a list. I I don't think that's uh, any, you know, any crazier than any other year, really. Maybe not, maybe not, but it's, it's, it's a damn good list. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, it's, it's been an incredibly, there's been a couple surprise teams this year, obviously Louisville and Washington probably being the biggest two. Um, but right now, and obviously I'm biased in this discussion, I think truthfully it's Alabama, Ohio state, and then everyone else. Um, to me, they're just both, I think Ohio, Alabama, if I had to pick, I'd probably say Alabama's the better team, but I think Ohio State's playing better than anyone else. I think Ohio State's playing better right now. We need um, to see Ohio State in a real, real dogfight. Yeah, they've just basically been able to completely overwhelm everybody they've played. And I mean, that's not a drawback. I mean, that's not a, that's not a uh, a mark against it. You can't hold it against them, them that right. they're doing that. But somebody's going to step up and punch them in the mouth at some point this year, and. You know, yes, yeah. They got respond. Wisconsin. They got Wisconsin next week. Wisconsin's got a pretty good physical defense. Mm-hmm. Um, their quarterback's fucking horrible. Like I watched him. He's just. Did you remember? You remember Taylor Martinez when he was in Nebraska? Yeah. And he'd run around a lot, but when you watched him throw a football, you were just like, "How the hell are you a quarterback?" Like, <laughs> it's the same thing I see from that kid at Wisconsin. It's just like you're not good at throwing a football. You might be a semi-effective quarterback, but throwing a football. It's ugly. Those Ohio State DBs are going to eat him alive, I think. So that game looked like it was going to be, I think, like a, a barn burner a week ago. I am I struggle to see how they'll ever get any points up. Still might be a but, barn burner. It just might be. Yeah, a, I might just have Wisconsin locked in the barn. So. Yeah, <laughs> I, I suppose so. That's, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> All right. Um so I'm not even sure how long we've been running here. I, I feel like this is probably a good point to wrap up. Any, anything else before we shut it down? I feel like you had something else you wanted to talk about. Uh, I, I wanted to get in two cents on the Browns, but it's nothing that can't wait a week or two. So, All right. Um, yeah, the story with the Browns is going to be the same pretty much every week. So yeah, I, Actually, I, given what I think is going to happen to them this weekend with the Patriots, it will dovetail very nicely into – what I want to get off my chest with them going into that's next just, uh, week. So that's what's that? I think that's called a tease. In yeah. The yeah. So there you go. That, that's my tease for you for next week. Um, so you should uh, go out and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Or if you haven't already Google play what waiting for. Yeah. We, we kind of hit a milestone number on the, the subscribers for this week. So uh, nice. with, with Craig Lindell um, nice. coming on last week, that gave us a nice bump up and, um, if you checked us out last week for the first time and you decided to come back and, and listen again, uh, thanks for sticking around and we hope you'll continue to stick with us. We'll have more guests on from time to time, but uh, a lot of times it's just me and Trev here um, going uh, with uh, just the, the two man game. So, and that's plenty <laughs> for the record <laughs> on a night like this, that, uh, that probably worked out just as well. So exactly. All right, man. Well, uh, you're, you're going to be down at uh, game one tomorrow night, right? I'll be down there. Yes, sir. All right. Well, uh, don't throw any beers from the second deck. Uh, if I get it to the field, I feel like I should be rewarded. Well, you know, if you do that, don't get caught. Make sure yeah. you've got everybody in your section uh, supporting you and making yeah, sure they're all looking the other nothing. way. Nobody saw nothing. <laughs>
the Canadian honor system up there. Silence up there in 557. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I will be uh, at a local watering hole somewhere on the east side here and uh, oh, be rooting them in. So it should be a good time. So have fun yeah. down there. And uh, everybody else, uh, enjoy the, uh, the series. We'll be back next week. And uh, we will talk to you then. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along The Planted Runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 